On this episode of Forge and Anvil, Mike Pence has declared that adults should be able to transition to the opposite gender because that's what it means to love your neighbor, apparently. Beyond this, the U.S. Navy detected the Titan submersible implosion on Sunday, but the Biden administration only released the news on Thursday, conveniently after the Hunter plea deal and the whistleblower reports were both released. Was this intentional? We'll try our best to answer that question. Finally, a group of attendees at the NYC Drag March were caught on camera chanting, we're coming for your children. This isn't the first time members of the LGBTQI plus has said that they're coming for the kids. Question is, when will we start to believe them? All this and more, so stick around. We are joined today by first-time guest, John Clash. So, John, please tell the audience who you are and what you do. What's up, guys? Uh, thank you, first off, just for having me on, for considering bringing me on here to talk about some of these topics. Um, I, I guess I'm a Christian YouTuber now and uh, also an author of the, uh, the new author of the new book, Law of Attraction, A Gateway Drug to Spiritual Heroin, in which I debunk everything about the law of attraction and uh, the secret and uh, new age spirituality, pretty much in, in general, how it's bleeding into the church and how you can spot it bleeding into the church and, uh, and, and not only be aware of it so you don't fall into it, but so you can warn others as well. Awesome. Well, be sure to check it out, everyone. And back again, regular co-host of the show, Michael Aper. Howdy, friends. As always, I'm a student of Scripture and want to see the righteousness of God restored to the people of God. And I guess we're Christian YouTubers, too. <laughs> there we go. Seems Michael, to be the your thing. mic is a little fuzzy if you want to just adjust that. Um, but we are going to go ahead and dive straight into the first story. So this is from notthebee.com. This is Mike Pence talking to Jordan Peterson in an interview about his uh, presidential campaign. And in this campaign, he mentions that protecting the legal right to sex change surgeries for adults is to, quote, love our neighbor. So the whole interview is about an hour or so to watch. I did watch the whole thing, so we can talk more detail about that if that's something that uh, uh, the conversation uh, that's the direction the conversation uh, goes. But for now, I just want to mostly play the clip that we're going to be reacting to. So here we are. Here's Mike Pence. Uh, to uh, prohibit uh, gender transition, chemical or surgical treatment for children under the age of 18. I, I'd look at, I, I'm, I, I'm libertarian enough to say, if, if you're an adult, live while you live. Uh, you know, uh, I may not agree with decisions you make, but we'll love you and, 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 uh, 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 love our neighbor as ourselves and my faith requires right but so there was mike pence reacting to the idea of banning gender transition surgeries so my initial thought to this story i really thought that mike pence was a pretty uh bland guy um he's <laughs> uh if he was a spice he would be flour uh, he's a pretty <laughs> unexciting individual um, but for that reason, I thought he was the perfect vice president for Trump because he was the polar opposite in a way. And he was soft spoken and um, seemed rather articulate. Um, and of course, he is a man of faith, or at least that is a lot of what he professes. Um, this 
clip was not shocking to me though because it does seem like uh the more that pence has been out from trump's shadow the more attention that's been on him the more that we start to see some some cracks in some of his uh his character and you know there's a lot of individuals that have said that mike pence is uh, not a true believer i don't know if i feel that way necessarily but i definitely think that Pence is making a unfortunate mistake that I think many believers make of taking the libertarian approach as opposed to the biblical approach. And uh, we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit more. I don't want to say necessarily uh, all my, all my thoughts on it. So I'll give you guys a chance to respond uh, here in a moment, but either way um, we do talk a lot on this show about libertarianism. Um, we, one of our regular co-hosts uh, comes on pretty frequently. Um, he is a, a libertarian and we've had many libertarian guests and i oftentimes uh side with that uh way of thinking on many subjects but some of these important moral subjects libertarianism just uh, falls short of proper moral guidance so that being said though john i want to bring you in here what was your initial reaction to watching mike pence in this interview i wanted to hear the like what came after the but you know he was like but i'm like oh man but what, you know, uh, so I've, I've wrestled with this thing, uh, with this, this same subject of, um, you know, when it comes to kids, it's, it's an obvious evil. I think it's an obvious evil, like even if you're 80 and you want to do something like this. Right. But I, I try to, um, look at, look at things from the political lens. Then I look at things from, well, first from the Christian lens, then I, I filter that and then bring it back to the, to the, um, to like the political lens. And whenever I hear somebody say something like this, that's a politician, I'm like, yeah, well, that's, that's cause they're politicians, you know, in, in order for them to get in, they need the votes. And it like, it doesn't mean that it's right to, to say these things or to, um, to kind of compromise on something for votes. It, it doesn't mean that it's right, but it is expected, right? And I, I do think Mike Pence is a believer. Uh, I definitely do. Um, the LGTV community hates him. So uh, I guess that's a clear sign that um, he's speaking up for, for you know some Christian values. Now, where I wrestle with this, um, one, I believe it, it's a slippery slope because if you allow it for adults, it will eventually get to kids. You know, it, it just will um, because they we have to separate like the um, the individual who is actually suffering from gender dysphoria with the agenda behind the whole movement of, uh, you know, here we are at a point in history where the president is like, yeah, just trans the kids, totally do it. You know, so I, I do believe that the slippery slope will happen. But then I also think about uh, it's in Romans one, somewhere in the 20s, where um, where God kind of gives people over to them to themselves. Right. And he he I believe it's he gives them over to a, a depraved mind. Right. And if you look at like an adult that is just hell bent on doing this right one they should have we should have had things in place for them to get the actual help that they need like the psychological help and and not this uh this affirming crazy society that we have right now but eventually it's kind of just like 
all right, man, you want to chop off your junk? I think you are absolutely stupid, stupid for wanting to do this. But I, I do think that there might be some more important fights uh, when it comes to letting an adult kind of do whatever. And I don't know what age you could put on that. And like I said, I believe it would turn into a slippery slope anyway and eventually get back to the kids. But, you know, I, I think that things like abortion, am I allowed to say that on the stream? Right. I, I think that things like abortion are are like much more pressing issues than some old dude who wants to chop off his junk. You know, I I'm, yeah, these absolutely. are just things from the political spectrum of like, what are we going to focus on the most? Right. And I think that children's innocent lives, you know, in the womb probably uh, hold, hold a higher priority for me in, in my personal life. I'm a one issue voter. That is the issue. Right. Um, I think that, that in comparison to, you know, some 35 year old uh, who's like right on the verge of a midlife crisis is like, hey, you know, I want to get some breast implants. All right, buddy, like go go for it, you know. So this is what I wrestle with. Uh, what do you guys think it, uh, about it? Well, my thought when I watched that clip and I watched a little bit more of the context as well. What it seems like the article from Not The Bee is saying is like painting it as if Mike Pence is loving transgenderism, which I think is very clear he's not. Uh, but my counter question, and I'll pose this to you guys, who and how is Mike Pence loving his neighbor? Like, who is the neighbor that he's loving and how is he choosing to love them based on what he said? Yeah. Well, that's been my thought exactly in this whole thing. You know, ultimately, ultimately, the biblical worldview tells us that we are a slave to Christ. And therefore, you know, the, if you are a believer, you would be completely against these transgender surgeries. And I, and I agree with you. I don't think that Mike Pence is for transgender surgeries necessarily, but this is one of those areas that to your point, John, it's, it's really hard to pretend that there's this middle ground that really doesn't exist in regards to, either we're going to condone these horrible acts to be done or we are not, um, you know, because that's the thing with the, the libertarian mindset that oftentimes baffles me in regards to um, libertarianism just typically doesn't have an answer for, uh, for things like this when it's a moral stance of, yes, it's an adult who can consent to this, but is it, is it something that is good, true, and beautiful? Um, you know, is this something that is going to be uplifting to the community at large and more specifically glorifying to God? And obviously, if you are not a, a Christian, that's going to be a hard thing to answer. Um, and but but typically the, the libertarian mindset outside of having having your own faith, it, it really does fall short of being able to give proper guidance to this. Um, I know that wasn't quite the answer to your question, Michael, of who is the neighbor. If but, I can jump in please. here, I think the major problem and the flaw in the way that he delivers this is that he's talking about his libertarian view, and then he inserts Christianity right into that. Yes. And I don't know that those are entirely reconcilable in this context, because the problem is when he puts Christianity too close to that political perspective, it's almost as if in the background the Christian hears him saying, Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial, which is not able to be applied to this transgenderism. 
much like John was saying, I think the, the Romans one passages is much more applicable to the transgenderism. I think what Pence did wrong and what he maybe was trying to say, but said poorly is he's saying, I'm more concerned about the kids than the adults, the adults, it would, I think the libertarian perspective that he's prescribing to is saying the adults can do what they want because it's not my place to prevent them, but I'll love them anyway. That's, that's where I see him saying, love my neighbor as myself is almost like he's saying it as an addendum to say, I don't agree with what they're doing, but I'm going to keep loving them. And that's the way that I see him saying the whole love your neighbor in that context. I think it's folly of him to place those two things so close to each other because it, it kind of dilutes the message of loving your neighbor and also dilutes the libertarian perspective as well. And uh, it also, you know, when you think about it, what, what kind of society do we want to live in, right? Because if this is something that isn't at least stigmatized, right, and, and looked at in a way of, you know, we have this society of where no shame exists, right? And I'm not saying that we need to be bullying anyone or we need to be... Um, as I said, we have to separate the individual who's going through something like gender dysphoria from the agenda that is behind them and the political uh, people who are using the agenda to, to, to get votes, right? But I think that if we create a society in where this is just completely acceptable, um, we're, we're going to see a lot more of it, right? And it's, it's also, we're going to have a lot more people who want to change back right? Uh, so you're going to have a, a lot more sick people. But then at, at the same time, is this something that we really want to normalize? You, you know what I mean? Like, do we want this to be a normal thing? And the answer is no, obviously, but I'm talking about from a general perspective, us as believers, we obviously, it's a, it's a no, we don't want that to be a normal thing. But I'm, I'm trying to think of it from society's pushback on like, oh, just let people do what they want. Just let people do what they want. Yeah, but if we create a society in where we are no longer able to define what a man or a woman is and, and we are being fluid on truth, essentially, it, it may not, we may not see the, the full effects of that, you know, in the next five, 10 years, but you give that 20, 30 years down the line, a full generation down the line, and this society is going to be twisted for the kids that are growing up. You know, the kids who just want to be normal, regular kids that are growing up in this society. If you just look at the statistics, there's more Gen Z claiming to be part of the LGTV community than ever before. And they'll say that it's because, oh, they're more comfortable coming out now. But that's not it. It's it's influence. It's social influence. And uh, it, it just so happens that these numbers spike in very liberal cities, right? And in like Hollywood, look at all of the children in Hollywood who are non-binary and, and all this stuff. You think that that's just because they feel more comfortable? No, it's because that's a culture that's created. So if we create a Hollywood culture throughout all of society uh, in America, uh, we, won't see, we won't see America much longer. Imagine having a military, right, where, where this stuff is, is normal, and now you have people who are so confused about their identity that actually need help, right? Or you have people who are mentally unstable. They know they're mentally unstable. They don't care. 
and they just want to live a debaucherous life, like joining the military, because we only have a limited amount of people. So that that weakens us like crazy. And that can get into a whole other conversation of if, is this being done purposely to weaken the United States as a whole? And I, I think that's a possibility. Yeah. And, you know, I don't I don't expect you to to, you know, necessarily follow the same line of thinking, John, since, you know, this is your first time on our show here. But I would definitely say it is intentional. Um, now, obviously, not everyone that is uh, partaking in this is necessarily part of the cabal. Um, uh, once upon a reset in the chat said the controlling cabal use lesser, greater chaos, ritual magic to steer the zeitgeist and to form the hive mind by getting us to focus on and engage with the illusion. And I, I do believe that there are individuals that are definitely pushing this, um, you know, and some of it is um, just truly mankind's wickedness and others is a lust for power or greed. And which, of course, you can all all throw into that first category. Um because there are so many hospitals that, uh, you know, uh, it was um, Vanderbilt that was exposed uh, on camera saying how profitable these uh, transition surgeries would be for the medical industry. Um, and so there, there truly is a, a degree where social contagion definitely plays a part of this with social media, things like TikTok and um, and stuff just kind of being uh, uh, thrusted upon young, vulnerable minds. Um, but beyond that, I definitely think there are individuals that are hoping for, um, for the American population to become weaker, um, to become infertile. Um, that's something we've talked a lot about on this, on this show before. Um, but of course that doesn't mean that every single person is a co-conspirator, but there are many people that I think are, um, sort of steering the ship that are a part of this, uh, cabal as once upon a reset, put it, um, and then there are so many individuals that are just caught by the spell. Yeah. So that's, that's my take on it, at least in, in regards to the intention behind it. Yeah. All of this, as I'm thinking through what you guys are saying, it makes me think of morality. Cause what John, the underlying tone of what you're saying is that we're falling into relative morality where everyone kind of projects their own sense of what is right and wrong. But what laws are is supposed to be some sort of consensus on what we have deemed morally acceptable and the boundaries thereof. The problem is when we have a total societal decision to be relative in our morality, then there is no standard. And any standard that we place is subject to change. And those standards are now the standards that we hold as Christians are long in the rear of your mirror compared to what is being put into legislation today. So if we were to, you know, this is the, the constant conversation of like the, the relationship between church and state and how can we avoid a theocracy, but still have morality put into legislation. I think there does need to be a line drawn where maybe people should be prevented from mutilating themselves. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and it, uh, you know, going back to the whole, the moral uh, fabric of our society, I forget who said it, and I'm probably going to say the quote wrong, but it said a uh, democracy is, uh, is only as moral as, as the people like it, it, it can only survive if the people are moral, right? It's something along those lines. I'm, I'm definitely yeah, those the founders talking about our system of government specifically, not even necessarily democracy is yeah, that our system of government was set up uh, 
for a moral and righteous people. What I what I appreciate about um, the United States system, though, is that I, I picture how worse it would be if the checks and balances weren't in place. You know, uh, I know that some people think that they make it difficult to get certain things passed and and whatnot, but all it would take is one person, uh, one one tyrant like figure to come in and just uh, sway everybody in the wrong direction. If it wasn't for the the checks and balances that we have in place, you know, like Donald Trump, you could say whatever the, the heck you you want about him, but he he knew how the system worked, which is why he packed the Supreme Court the way that he did, and why he jumped on the opportunity to to uh, and and we have that system to thank for reversing Roe versus Wade, you know, and, and re reversing. Uh, giving it back to the states, uh, essentially, and removing it from a, a federal decision. So, um, yeah, it's it's complicated, but I am I am proud of the way that the founding fathers set everything up. Because even with all this corruption, like we could have been way further along in debauchery and craziness had it not been for the checks and balances set up by our forefathers. Absolutely, yeah. And just for one sake of clarification, just for uh, me being nitpicky, um, you mentioned that Donald Trump packed the court, and we should just clarify that he he filled vacant spots. Yes, Another reason yes. why is you know there's so much debate right now about whether or not the courts should be packed, whether or not we should add an infinite amount of uh, justices to tilt the court in one particular favor. So um, that being said, though, I, I want to. I mean, this is a topic that we could easily spend all night on, so, but I want to kind of maybe. Uh, maybe bring our focus to the 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 main question that this issue brings up, which is, should these surgeries be banned even for adults? So, Michael, I'm I'm going to turn it to you first to get your your takes on your take on that. Um, your mic has been a little fuzzy though, so maybe turn it down a little bit on your end, and I'll turn you up on my end, and hopefully that'll that'll help. Um, but uh, jump in when you're ready. Yeah, let me know if I need to change anything up here as far as sound quality. That's um, that's a bit better, yeah. Cool, thanks. I mean, I kind of already alluded to my thoughts on this as far as uh, people should. The bottom line is I don't think it's beneficial to anyone to mutilate themselves. Uh, kind of like John mentioned earlier in the podcast, the, the really sad part of it is that if some middle-aged dude decides he needs to cut off his penis and get breast implants that journey to get to that severe point started way way earlier and it's a mental health crisis that i think if anything we shouldn't be making mental health severity so normalized if anything we should be providing aid for individuals that have this difficulty but we've let it go so far that even that opinion is an extremely bigoted and controversial opinion in the public forum. So, yeah, bottom line is I don't think they should be allowed, like, the, the severity of these surgeries because they're not medically necessary. I think it's a violation of, of uh, the oath, the uh, Hippocratic Oath. Is that the right one? Yep. No. Yes? Okay, cool. <laughs> I know less about the medical industry, but yeah, I think it's a violation of the standards that medical practices should hold 
because it is not medically necessary, yet it is being treated as if it is medically necessary. That being said, you could say the same thing about like, you know, like facelifts or plastic surgeries to an extent that are cosmetic surgeries that are not necessary. But typically those are not treated as if they are medically necessary either. They're elective surgeries that usually it's just rich people. The major difference in this culture that we're having surrounding transgender transition surgeries is that there's a huge push in the public forum to say children should have access to these things because it is necessary for their mental health as if it's a solution to the mental health problem that they have in their gender dysphoria when there is very little to no evidence that it is in fact a solution to the mental capacity it is a solution to the physical delusion but that is a fleeting a fleeting solution and we've seen time and time again of individuals who regret their decision to transition they regret the hormone therapies that they've been placed on and the physical interventions that they've undergone yeah yeah i i like i have a lot of compassion for these people who who are truly um as, as I say all the time, you got to separate the individual from the agenda. There, there are people who, like, I couldn't imagine what that would feel like. You know what I mean? Thinking that I am a different sex than I, than I really am. Thinking I'm a different gender than I really am. And then searching for a way to fix that. You know, it's kind of like a, I could attribute it to in an itch that you can't scratch, you know? And the the real question is can that itch be scratched right and can it i'm trying to like put myself in their shoes for a second and if if like i couldn't scratch that itch i don't without christ right here here's the thing without christ i my decision making is is all jacked up right so i'm thinking about how did i think prior to Christ, when it came to some, to an itch that needed to be scratched, it was like, I did whatever I, I needed to do to scratch that itch. So we have to understand that we're, we're dealing with a mindset that, uh, a mind that isn't renewed by Christ. Right. So that's, that's one thing that we have to factor in when we're thinking about this and, and trying to understand their perspective. Like they just, they don't understand the peace that comes with a relationship with Christ. They don't understand that Christ will technically scratch those itches for you without you having to do any of the drastic uh, changes that, that you think is going to scratch that itch for you. So I, I want to, um, you know, come from a place of trying to understand the pain that some of these people are going through. But with that being said, I think that even if I was to grant the whole, yeah, if you're a 35 year old person and, and you want to do this, I still would have to err on the side of it probably should be banned because I just, I just can't risk it coming back to the kids. You know, like I, I just, I can't, that yeah. slippery slope. It's just, I, it's I not, know down the line, it's, it's just going to be bad. Yeah. And it's not compassionate to enable people to harm themselves. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We like to think it's compassionate to allow people to do what they want, but what people want is often harmful. And not only, yeah. like you're saying, John, not only is it harmful to the individual, but it is extremely harmful to our culture and the cultural norms surrounding mental health. 
and the perspective on the image of God that people can have in themselves. How can we, I mean, this could go on a completely different tangent where I struggle a lot in my own mind of how do I witness to an individual who has already transitioned? How do I compel them towards the love of Christ when they have so far uh, marred the image of God in themselves and so egregiously worshiped the creative thing instead of the creator it's a i know that it's a possibility and i trust christ with that and i trust the holy spirit to enable us to speak wisdom and love into those situations but just as my my own ponderance is worth i i have a hard time wrapping my mind around that sometimes because i i don't know i don't know what it is or how it looks to have someone go from such a deep place of brokenness and how can, how can they be restored by God's standards? Yeah. And certainly by our standards, they can't be restored, but that's not the point, right? Like Christ is the ultimate physician and healer and source of restoration. So I'd know that he can and will restore those individuals. Some of them Lord willing, but it's hard for me as a Christian to know how to approach those situations with grace and love, but also non-compromising in the virtues of who God is. Yeah. And yeah. I think that you are both being very compassionate and generous in your, your feelings toward the individuals who are, you know, suffering from legitimate gender dysphoria. And I think that that's a, that's obviously a good thing. Cause I think both your hearts are in the right place, but I have also really felt in recent times, I've really, I've really learned that sometimes when you do need a strong hand, um, sometimes I can't remember the name of the, of the old, I think it was a Greek, Greek hero that, uh, was sailing on the seas. And, um, he knew that he was going to be sailing past the sirens, you know, the attractive, um, you know, mer people that were going to be, was it Odysseus? I thought so. I yeah. just didn't want to say yeah, it and really be wrong, but, uh, yeah, anyways, yeah. um, Odysseus, you know, he was sailing um, and knew that he was going to be sailing past the sirens and he had his crew tie him to the mast so that he could not chase after the sirens and and be drug into the depths. And sometimes we need that crew member to tie us to the mast. And in this instance, I think that there is some serious case to be made for um, outlawing this type of stuff because there are individuals who cannot make these decisions um, clearly on their own because of their, their, the state of their mental health. And there are so many individuals that are incentivized to just push them to go under the knife so quickly because it is uh, politically expedient or they actually do want this person to be infertile if they have a more nefarious motive, or maybe they just are just doing my job. But of course, that's not a good excuse as history has told us. Um, but either way, I do think that sometimes we need that, uh, that heavy hand, um, because sometimes that is the most loving way, which I know you're both saying that I just think it should be said yeah. that sometimes it needs to be needs to be firm, you know, that's uh, Well, I um, think the the compassion that we're discussing is towards the individuals who have fallen prey to the the system, the system yeah. that says in the media, this is normal, this is good, you should participate in hormone therapies, you should affirm your identity, if you're questioning things, you know, the the horrifying stories we hear of elementary school teachers in the public school system who are compelling children to question that the children are the victims. It's a whole nother, certainly 
God's grace is uh, capable of redeeming the the wolves as well. But right. certainly, I want the sheep to be protected most of all. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's a reason why our shepherd has a staff. So, but let's go ahead and move on to the next story. It's going to be a hard transition because there's no real good way of transitioning uh, into this. <laughs> so, you know. So no, breaking completely different, not really, not really breaking at this point, but U.S. Navy detected Titan implosion on Sunday. But Biden admin only released news on Thursday after Hunter plea deal and whistleblower reports released. This is from the postmillennial.com. The implosion of the Titan submersible submarine Moraine that went missing Sunday was known to the U.S. Navy days ago, though the U.S. Coast Guard only found debris of the wreckage on Thursday. Underwater microphones, the Wall Street Journal reports, which are used to detect enemy submarines, detected the implosion. It was revealed by the Coast Guard that the Titan suffered a catastrophic implosion. The Navy did not name the system that was used to detect the implosion. The U.S. Navy conducted an analysis of acoustic data and detected an anomaly consistent with an implosion or explosion in the general vicinity of where the Titan submersible was operating when communications were lost, the Navy said in a statement. While not definitive, this information was immediately shared with the incident commander to assist with the ongoing search and rescue mission. That the information was not released sooner was believed by some to be a distraction from the ongoing Biden scandals surrounding bribery, bribery FBI cover-ups, Hunter Biden influence petting, peddling. My goodness, I cannot speak tonight. It was revealed on Thursday by House GOP that Hunter Biden demanded money from China while Joe Biden was in the room with him and told the Chinese contacts that his father was sitting there with him. This was revealed by an IRS whistleblower who testified in the House just one day after Hunter Biden pled guilty to tax crimes as a part of a plea deal. A further crime of obtaining a firearm by lying on a background check form appears likely to be dismissed pending conditions. Human events Jack Posobiec made the connection that saying the WSJ is reporting that the U.S. Navy detected the Titan implosion on Sunday, but Biden held the news until today's whistleblower testimony on Hunter. The entire thing was a distraction up. And there's Jack's tweet there. And if it'll load for me here, the New York Post Miranda Devine weighed in as well. The Biden administration knew the Titan submarine imploded Sunday, she said, but waited until today to make it public. Convenient smokescreen for today's House Ways and Means release of IRS whistleblower testimony of DOJ sabotage on the Hunter Biden investigation. So obviously there's a whole lot there to respond to, but ultimately there are a lot of angles that we could take. We can focus in on the fact that that uh, apparently the Navy knew about this incident on Sunday and the Biden administration did not uh, report any news of this on Thursday. And ultimately we have to ask ourselves the question of whether or not that was intentional or whether or not that was uh, just a, a pure coincidence. Um, I myself am not one to say definitively because we cannot, we are just assuming um, motives at this point, but I do think it's awful convenient given that so many of the, business dealings of Hunter Biden with uh, foreign nationals um, and how Joe Biden has constantly said that he is not uh, at all entangled in those uh, foreign dealings. And yet here we have proof 
um, through a IRS whistleblower that uh, Joe Biden, in fact, not only knew about this, uh, these incidents, but he was there with Hunter as Hunter was demanding money from uh, from members of uh, of the Chinese government. So that was wild to me. But John, what was your what was your initial thoughts when you uh, read this article? Imagine it was uh, Donald Trump Jr. Right? Like, just imagine what the uproar would be if if, if this happened. First, I, I don't think there's any coincidences when it comes to government. I just I just don't. Um, I'm very skeptical of of things. And I know there's some good people in there trying to trying to get things done, but uh, this whole Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden thing, has just been this like ongoing ignore fest, right? Like, like just let's just keep ignoring it, keep ignoring it, keep ignoring it. And I just always think to myself, man, if this was Donald Trump Jr., this would be the nail in the coffin to 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 this guy. So the, the fact that they um that they waited to release this information, you can say maybe they wanted to confirm. You know, maybe they wanted to confirm, but I, I don't think so. Um, whenever something like this happens, I'm like, somebody check on what BlackRock is doing, you know, <laughs> like just just go double check real quick. Um, I think that if they did this right, if they covered this up, this is really some foul stuff because you got the whole entire world basically praying that they find these people and holding on to hope. Me and my wife were praying every night uh, uh, about this. We were praying that he, that they're found and we were praying that if they're not found, they had to come to Christ moment, you know, before they passed um, from this life to the next. So the fact that you have this whole entire world in suspense, then not only that, you have people spending money. Like it costs money to go search for these people. And you have this information that they were that, that they were dead, like you guys are finding debris and stuff like that. That's just that's bananas to me, but expected. Yeah. Michael, what was your thought? What stood out to me in this article, because you know the the whole idea of the submarine going down has been all over the place for the past week. What stood out to me is the Navy, you know, they postponed revealing their information, whatever. To me, that's not surprising. And it I have little, I, I don't believe that the Navy was trying to cover up something else. I think it's circumstantial. And if anything, what they're covering up is not under Biden's actions as much as their own capacity of technology. Because when I read this article, what, what stood out to me is the idea that they weren't as eager to let people know what sort of surveillance they have capable of under the that's, sea. That's a good which point. Makes perfect sense. And even once upon a reset in the, the chat is kind of alluding to that in a certain capacity where you're saying, my guess is the unarmed system that the Navy is not disclosing is a system that is operated by Palantir. Palantir. Yeah. Palantir. Yeah. Which is a, a data analytics software company. I was just looking it up because I didn't know. But <laughs> whether or not it has anything to do with Palantir is is a moot as far as it concerns to this particular story. 
it seems really clear to me that the Navy's not willing to say, oh yeah, we knew the very second and location and capacity of this explosion. Right. Because they probably don't want that to be in the headlines when we have foreign adversaries who might otherwise want intel on our capacity for surveillance. I mean, we already had the whole stupid Chinese balloon incident. <laughs> so right. maybe they're trying stuff underground or under the water. That, that to me is explanation enough as to why the military wasn't as eager to say immediately when they knew what had taken place. Now, I think that's a good, I think that's a really good point. And uh, um, it was something that I did not even think of. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The other side of the story though, is the media coverage because of course the media is going to blow the singular. I don't want to say that it's not significant because the lives of the individuals in that submarine are of course significant and, and the tragedy of their loss should be felt. However, that doesn't mean that the coverage should be so drastically uh, swayed toward that particular story in favor of everything else that's going on in the world, in the nation. It seemed disproportionate just from right. not just the, the big mute, uh, news articles and the big coverage from big media, but even in little stories throughout uh, social media, things that are being circulated by individuals seems to be a lot more oriented toward the submarine than anything else that is going on right now, almost as if it's just trending. So we push it out more and more and more. Yep. And that's really convenient for any company that's trying to have influence over what we see. So in the whole metaverse there's definitely biases there and there's algorithms at play to influence what we see and when we see it i think that is the more nefarious means rather than the military telling us when and how they get to know the information that they have yeah i it's it's very much one of those normie news cycles like it's it's something that's more digestible to the average person because it's not political i think that's a lot of it Obviously, there are people who politicized it, as we're talking about. Um, but just the the average the average person can just view this news story of of these individuals trapped in a submarine for supposedly days. We don't actually know the exact timeline, um, but uh, you know, so many people can talk about the suspense. It's I mean, it, it seems like something that would be turned into uh, you know a blockbuster film. Yeah, um, and it's unfortunate because to your point, Michael, like it, it, we're not minimizing uh, the, the passing of these individuals, but ultimately why was uh, a handful of people in a submarine more important than China currently making a deal with Cuba to, you know, to put uh, um, a military base in Cuba, you know, uh, why, why were, so many of these these much more important stories like the the obvious ties to corruption that our president is now being currently exposed to by a whistleblower uh, why, no. why is that <laughs> welcome will will hey will guys renaissance of men has joined Good to see you guys what's up what's up thanks for thanks for letting me let me join 
Of course. Yeah. Well, Will, I mean, I'll turn it over to you so you can just dive right in here. But what, what's okay. your thoughts on the whole the whole submarine story and the fact that uh, supposedly the Navy knew about it on Sunday, um, but uh, the Biden administration didn't let news uh, seep out until Thursday? Yeah, I mean, I, I can I can give a bunch of different reasons for that. I think the the Hunter Biden news dropping probably had something to do with that. Um, I had also heard I don't know if this is true or not, but I had also heard that um, there were some con, there some classified sonar system that was that picked it up. So maybe by disclosing that they would have given news of the classified system. I think probably some of it had to do with. Um, massive amounts of insurance money that would have to be paid out. And so they're trying to delay as long as they can to get lawyers in place. I mean, it's all, you know, none of it's genuine, none of it's sincere. It's all, it's all a distraction. And, and uh, I don't know why everyone gets emotionally worked up about it. <laughs> Not, I don't mean you guys, but I mean like the American public getting what super worked up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey guys, why are you even talking about them? No, I'm not like, not like that. <laughs> But, you know, it's just it's just a, it's just symptomatic of our trivialized culture. It's like we could be having honest conversations about important things like like Robert Kennedy. Robert Kennedy tries to have adult conversations about adult things in adult ways. Yeah. And we don't talk about the things that Robert Kennedy talks about. We talk about this this sub implosion. Right. And so maybe it was a useful crisis to distract public attention from bad news for a while. Yeah, uh, that's probably my read on it. It's such it's a tragedy, but I mean, ultimately, people bought it hook, hook, line, and sinker. Pun intended. Pun allowed. Yeah. Pun permitted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, too, too soon. Too soon. Yeah. Too soon. <laughs> to that point, too soon. Will, yeah. So too you, soon. <laughs> you brought up RFK, and RFK is mm -hmm. running for the Democratic nomination for presidency, mm -hmm. and yeah. it seems like the Mockingbird media has finally started to actually shine some light on this story when it comes to. Um, the corruption that uh, Joe Biden has been caught up in with his son. Um, mm. Do you, do you think that they're starting to do uh, regime regime change in the uh, democratic party at the moment? Yeah, I think so. I, I've heard that they were, they were trying to, uh, I, I, they were trying to bring in Newsom. I mm -hmm. think that they um, recognize that Newsom is deeply unlikable. Um, but I think I think they're trying to find a way and, and that Biden might not survive. Like, what does it someone said, like when he fell down most recently at that military school graduation, like they're worried he's going to fall on the campaign trail, which seems almost almost a certainty. Yeah. And so it's like there's only so long that that Democrats are going to be able to say that, like, this is a real president and a real person. Like even no Democrat looks at Joe Biden's like, oh, yeah, he's fine. He's cool. It's fine. Right. They don't actually believe that. They just they fear Trump more than they actually want Biden. I think that's always been the case. They can't fake that anymore. And so um, and so, you know, are they trying to replace Biden with RFK? That would be a giant L for them. So I don't know why they're not coming after RFK just yet. But um, it makes me suspicious. <laughs> Sorry. Well, there's definitely a, Debbie a, lot of, Downer. a lot of censorship going around with RFK, though. So that does that does make me think that he is uh, truly challenging the Democratic DNC system. But okay. uh, ultimately, so ultimately, in my mind, I think that they are honestly, I think that they are preparing Newsom. That's my take. Yeah. I think Newsom is doing a lot of things. I mean, he's he's been arguing with Ron DeSantis uh, publicly for months now, back and forth, talking about how much greater California is than Florida. I think Florida. it's going it's on like, years well right years but i think he's definitely ramped it up i mean he even did things uh what like a year ago he joined truth social like why would he be on this republican dominant 
platform mm-hmm. as the as the uh, you know governor of California, the Democratic governor of California, who is at no time going to be dethroned from California unless you know he's maybe setting himself up for a future run at the white house and whether that ends up being 24 or not i think he's definitely positioning himself to mm-hmm. make a run so i think my take is that he's positioning himself so that if joe biden is damaged beyond um being reconciled uh, with the public eye i mean he's already obviously very damaged with the public eye but if these things just make it all the worse i think he's He's ready to be tagged in so that he's already got his uh, machinery built. That's my take on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's so many scandals that are attached to Biden now that have been allowed to be attached. Doug Wilson did a video about this. Like stories like this are usually covered by the media with a pillow until they stop moving. You know, with the with the whole when the whole thing was um, when they found those documents in Biden's garage next to his Corvette. It's like, why was that allowed to? go normally that would be that'd be smothered but that they allowed that the hunter biden thing can no longer be ignored and so they have enough tags on him that they want to pull one of them they can and and you know i i think what's strange is i still can't figure out what trump's role is in all this it's very bizarre uh i don't know whether he's some some far 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 out gatekeeper like the last outfield gatekeeper or whether he's some true, truly an outsider, but that to me seems like the giant wild card and all this. Like RFK might be the guy that they deploy if they feel like they have to stop Trump, and that's what I think. I don't mean. I mean, I've got my my extra strength tinfoil hat on, but that's what I think that bench pressing video was about. I mean, to yeah. see all the bros instantly be like, "Bro, look how jacked <laughs> RFK Jr. is. He's right. got my vote, bro." And I was like, "Okay, like, granted." I love what he had to say about the vaccines. I love what he had to say about Bitcoin. I love what he had to say about Ukraine. I love what he had to I love what he had to say about the Iraq war. All of it. Love all of it. Right? Okay, cool. But when I see that, I was like, something about that, I, this could be my, you know, something about that just seemed way too, way too convenient. And so, yeah. you know, I, that has me wondering. And now he's apparently super constitutional absolutist on Second Amendment. So now I'm extra suspicious. <laughs> yeah, that is a little. He's also, though, pretty convenient. He's also pro-abortion, you know. So right. he, he was just recently, he just recently said that, uh, I think he said he believes that nobody um, has done more for, uh, like, the, the pro-choice um, side than, like, him and his family. And I'm like, ah, okay, yeah, skirt doesn't matter how much good stuff you say uh i'm out on this mm-hmm. one yeah yep. that's yep. what i was gonna say as well is that you can only take the good with the bad for so long and but if the bad is damning that's oh, that one's pretty hard. bad for me that one's pretty bad yeah yeah i yeah. honestly think that if trump wasn't on the ticket they would they would make the the change right now i think that they're hoping that biden can beat trump again but we'll see again. about that you mean for the he, first time? Yeah. yeah. You don't got enough B12 shots for that. You know? Yeah. Again, for the first time. And that being said, <laughs> Will, <laughs> what do you think of uh, Mike Pence? We did talk briefly about his, uh, his uh, remarks regarding transgender surgeries and how he believes that uh, he's libertarian enough to let adults uh, do transition surgeries. So uh, real quick, oh. what's your take on that before we move on? I saw libertarian, his brain falls out of his head. Very useful. (laughs) 
like that's look, fair. libertarian libertarianism like uh, i i got in an argument with some libertarians i was like you can be as libertarian as you want about rights we still live in god's world like you can live in america a libertarian america we still live in god's world by god's rules like no one could tell me what to do it's like god gets to tell you what to do right so mm -hmm. that's that's the problem and and libertarians they don't want to accept that they just they want to you know i'm a rugged individualist and you can't tell me nothing it's like, well, God gets to tell you what to do, and he gets to tell all of us what to do. And that's the Christian nationalism debate, which is, we can get into that too. <laughs> Amen. Well, that's probably too big of a conversation to bite off now, but... What? But... No. <laughs> oh, we, still yeah, gotta, we still got to get to naked witches. That's so. true. Ooh, that's yes, true. But first, let's go to Not the Bee for uh, oh, some, oh, some drag man. fun. Oh, man. <laughs> we're here, this, we're queer, we're coming for your children. Horror. So this was a chant that was... Uh, uh, chanted at uh, the NYC Drag March. So I'll go ahead and just play this quick uh, clip here. Don't worry, this is the censored version because there's some um, very uh, scantily clad individuals in this. So there it was, folks. We're here. We're queer. We're coming for your children. John, doesn't what was even your rhyme. initial reaction to that? It doesn't. It doesn't even rhyme. It's an absolutely <laughs> horrible writing. They need to fire whoever came up with it. Usually, the 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 far left is like really good with their slogans, but that one is is one of their worst. You you couldn't sell something with that. They're yeah. not really hiding anything anymore. And the funny part about their little slogan there, or that that chant is that there are many who undoubtedly would argue that it's satirical and that it's meant to be like, we're coming for your children because all you crazy right wing extremists think that that's what we're doing. But actually, actually they are. are, aren't they? And mm -hmm. they My can say it's satire, is... but the evidence is clear enough. Yeah. My, my question is when are, when are the people in the mushy middle going to actually believe the words that are coming out of these people's mouths? Never. Never. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard because it's like, I, I mean, I I've got several friends who are part of what I call the mushy middle. And it's like, guys, the middle has fallen out. I mean, don't get me wrong. I understand that there are, there are individuals who identify as part of the LGBTQ community who do not, you know, condone with, with the the push towards getting minors exposed to these ideas i get that obviously i still disagree with that lifestyle but either way it is obviously being co-opted towards exposing children's constantly i mean it's in the it's in the um in the the pride events it's in the public schools so i love to hear any of you give me some some thoughts on what it's going to take for that mushy middle to finally open their eyes and see that there's actually um, nefarious motives behind these movements. Impossible. Think, yeah. You, go ahead, you sorry. Go for, oh, no, right. please. So, I, you know how there's like trickle down effects? There's a trickle up effect, right? You, um, you, you create this culture in where children in the womb aren't worth anything. That trickles into children not being worth anything, period, right? And I think that we have this uh, we have this mentality where we have gone soft on how we protect children, right? Like we've just gone soft on it. 
as a as a society and we are not looking at these people as a threat and when i say these people i mean going back to what i said earlier separating the individual from the agenda right you know there's an obvious an obvious agenda a force behind all of this stuff that wants your kids 100% wants your kids they 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 don't want kids born and then the ones that are born they they want them uh under their control and not your control so they don't they truly do not care about the fact that they don't care about parents period right so if if they don't care about the child in the womb they don't care about the child that is that is out there the only thing they care of is to get is to rip that child from the parents right so you're ripping it from the parents in 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 two situations one straight out the womb and then if the child is lucky enough to get out the womb now you're going to rip them from the parents um through social acceptance and the affirmation and and all of this nonsense and i just think that us as a society the men have have we just went soft in, in when it comes to protecting our children right and when we we all have this um inherent like when we see you know the the pedophiles exposed videos where you know they the, I forget Chris Hansen, I think is the guy's mm -hmm. name. He's like, you know, have a have a have seat. A seat. Yeah. yeah. It's like we've had a seat as a society. In in and we need Chris Hansen to come in and be like, what the heck are you guys doing? What are mm. you doing? That's good. You know, yeah. so uh I just think that we've went soft and I, I'm I'm not too sure if if uh the majority of men today are gonna step up uh in it. We have more women fighting for this stuff than we do have men. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. Will, you're going to like this, but mm -hmm. earlier today, for the first time ever, I watched American Sniper. Pretty decent oh, film. It's a great Solid. film. Solid. Yeah. Very realistic, almost mm -hmm. unpleasantly so. But mm -hmm. at the very beginning, there's a dialogue between the protagonist's father and him as a kid. His dad says, There's three types of people in the world there are sheep, there are wolves, and there are sheep dogs. The mm -hmm. sheep are just going to go along and are going to be victims. The wolves are going to look for victims to take advantage of. And the sheepdogs are going to protect because they have all this aggression pent up, but they know not to misuse it. And what it seems to be in our culture is that many of the sheepdogs have become too domesticated. They're lapdogs and the sheep are vulnerable and that's the what I see as the mushy middle in this circumstance is the, these people who are not, it's not that they're unintelligent, they're uninterested. They're mm. complacent yeah. in their, I mean, they are unintelligent as a byproduct of their complacency. People who choose ignorance and choose to listen to the media and choose to be swayed by moral relativism and Lord knows we need more sheepdogs to bear our teeth and fight back against the wolves. And I know that's very uh, divisive language and it makes it very us versus them. But for the sake of righteousness, I believe in that. Maybe not so much for the sake of American politics, mm -hmm. but we serve a king who is far greater than any president ever could be. And for the sake of righteousness, we absolutely need to protect people as best we can 
against the wolves who are hunting and feasting upon the vulnerable mushy middle who are complacent in the way that they're going to go along and just allow the world to shape their ideologies Mm -hmm. yeah they constantly want to feed the alligator in hopes that the alligator will eat them last but at the end of the day they're going to be eaten by the alligator Mm -hmm. yeah i want to go ahead i want to can i can i pitch an idea for you about how to think about this this is this is how i think about it it's not it's not so much that um that the 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 middle is mushy that is true but i think the reality is we all now almost all of us in america probably the west we have the minds and hearts of women which is to say we have this idea that because someone is an outsider because someone is lost or broken or some some way we have to make sure that every single person comes along and it doesn't matter what we have to give up this poor person we have to end at please stop 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 we have to pick up we have to pick up this person the person's fighting and screaming and whatever they don't want to be a part of it and that's what women do that's how women that's how women are because they're agreeable you know they have to make sure to bring all the children along but the problem is when you bring that mindset to the public sphere and you try and make sure that you have 100% consensus for everything. And I've seen this, I was part of Occupy Wall Street back when I was liberal. So I've seen this mindset play out in real time and I can tell you all about it. So as a result of that, what do we do? We have a society that tolerates and seeks to, to include inclusivity even the most radical outsider and everyone has to be reduced to their standards so that they don't feel uncomfortable because mm. that's what women do. So we all have many of us and we're working to purge our systems of it, right? That's part of what we do as men right now is get it all out of ourselves working to purge. So it's like, you know what? You ain't coming along. Bye. And just let them go. And the thing is the mushy middle, they have the hearts and minds of women and they would never be able to understand or comprehend or in, or support a world where a gay person or a feminist woman or whatever is is left out. They would not be able to stand it because they don't have the internal testicular fortitude, man or woman, to say you are dragging us all down. And and we have to, under under uh, as Christians, we are bound by different laws by our brothers and sisters. So I want to be clear about that. But in the public sphere, where you have people in open rebellion to God's law. We don't have to slow the truck down to pick them up, right? Mm. The, the mushy middle cannot imagine a world because they've been so cultivated over the course of generations that we have to bring everyone along. We're all in this together, democracy, whatever. It's like, no. That, so when I say I don't think the mushy middle is ever coming along, it's not that they're mushy. It's that they have the minds and hearts of women, and they could not for a second hold their pee, so to speak, if they saw a poor little gay person crying because they whatever lost something that they can't have anymore. And so I, I just kind of say that they're not coming along because they couldn't handle that discomfort of seeing someone suffering in their own choices. That's how I process it. Hmm. Wow. A lot there. And, and to, yeah, well, to that what, point, what you get when you have me on. Yeah, well, for sure. Exactly. I yeah. love it. And to your point, Michaela actually said in the chat, thank you. Oh, that's the wrong one. Wrong one. She said, uh, where is it? Yes, the men have gone soft, but the mama bears have all left the nest. Bring mamas back home, and the men will fight again. Is that kind of what you're uh, getting at there, Will? I think so. I think if men had families to fight for to, that, that were their own, that they were the heads of, 
If that's what she means, yes. If you bring women back into the sphere of the home and you give men something to stand up on, like on the support of the home and stand up for in terms of supporting his home and defend, um, and the only thing that, that calls men to do that is, is, a, is a good woman and a family, that's what really activates men, then yeah, I agree completely. What, what you just said there, uh, Will, was, um, I don't know if you could repeat it because I don't want to say it wrong, but about mm. uh, having a family gives men something to fight for. I think that that statement is um, like it, it needs to be like put on a plaque or something like that uh, because it's, it's true. Men, we, we have a culture of where men don't want the responsibility of families, you know, and women don't want the responsibility of families. Everything is about me, 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 me. And I don't have kids yet. Uh, we're working on it. So stay tuned. Um, but I can provide detailed schematics. <laughs> <laughs> I can, I can point you to some websites that'll demonstrate the technique for you. <laughs> you never know what you're going to get a forging anvil. <laughs> But the, <laughs> I, I think I think about the um, the the fact that like that is correct. You know, men don't have anything to fight for right mm -hmm. now. They they have absolutely nothing to fight for outside of themselves. Mm -hmm. And inherently, men are fighters. You know, mm -hmm. they're they're and and when you say they're fighters, it doesn't mean that they're inherently violent. It just means that they are inherently protectors. Right. And if you don't have anything to protect but yourself, that it, it, it weakens you. You know, I think getting getting married was one of the most uh, uh, like eye opening experiences for me, because now I don't I, I don't only have to worry about myself. You know, I have to make sure that my wife is safe all the time. Right. And uh, I couldn't imagine if she was an actual like if somebody was actually physically threatening her the the amount of monster i would become right and it, it's we have a society where men where men don't have that side because they got nothing to fight for so that that was really uh it was really good mm -hmm. and i'd like to chime in i absolutely agreeing with that john and will but will you mentioned something that i want to push back a little on where you said that men don't have something to fight for until they have that sort of family, mm -hmm. like a, a wife and children. And I don't know if I agree with that wholeheartedly because certainly there are men who are called to singleness and can fight ferociously in the righteousness of God for the righteousness of God in the church community as well. I mm -hmm. think it's not just a, a having someone to sleep with that makes that different. I think it's committing yourself to protecting the innocence, protecting the righteousness, the holiness of a community that makes that worthwhile. And that can happen outside of marriage or a, an intimate family in that setting as well. I can, agree. I, push, can I, I push back on your pushback? Go ahead, John. But I want to, can I, when, yeah. I, no, I was just going to say, I think it was a, a general assessment from like a, a majority of men's standpoint there there are definitely exceptions to the to the rule i say that only because if there is a single guy listening i know that i've interacted with a number of single guys who feel like the church attacks them for being single and i don't mm. want i don't want them to feel like they can't be a full man without a wife oh yeah no yeah. no no 
Yeah, but I don't, uh, yeah, not saying that's what you're saying either. Yeah, no, that's that's important. That's important. Um, so like, I, I don't, as a single man myself, like, I, I I don't know that I would consider singleness a gift. Like, it's it's God's will for me right now, and it's something that I'm working on remedying. But what I can feel inside myself is the idea that okay, imagine placing the yoke of a human life, a, a human woman's life, on my shoulders. Right? What does that do? And especially if she if she doesn't want to work, if I want to retire her, well then then that means that I have to work harder to earn more or change careers so that I can earn more, right? So that means I have to take better care of my body and my sleep so that I can be more productive. I have to be more disciplined, right? So I have to grow in all these ways and carve out inefficiencies. And then you add in little humans who are helpless, and then you start thinking about things like legacy and like, well, it might be nice to have a bigger house. It might be nice to be able to have, you know, my savings growth outpace inflation. Right. It might be nice to think that we'll have a world of peace that's better for my kids than it was for me and that I'm not going to get sent off to go fight a war in China. So maybe we should work on et cetera. So, you know, that that responsibility of other human lives begins pushing the man's sphere of interest outwards into being able to provide for the life of his family in a way that nothing else can. Now, that doesn't mean that single men can't be very useful. Single men can be very can be very useful. Um, but, but I think that there's a switch that flips at a couple different times in a man's life. One of them is uh, initiation and initiation, which is completely lost from our culture, which is a longer conversation, but initiation is, is a, is a psychological spiritual event where that signals the transition from a boy to a man. It's an uncrossable bridge. You cross that bridge and you can never go back. You can never be a boy again. This, this, these are rituals that don't exist in our culture anymore. So initiation and then marriage and, and child and childbearing. I think those are the two big transitions in a, in a man's life. We don't have we have we don't we don't push men towards either of them anymore in the way that we need mm-hmm. to. But it's those things that really turn the boy psychology, which can be in an adult male body. It turns the boy psychology into man psychology because you can have a forty-five year old uninitiated man without a family, and he can still be acting like a little boy. He's in a, a boy psychology driving an adult male body. But to get them to get the man out of him, you have to put him through both of those. So that's what I mean. You can be useful before then, but those two things create transformation like nothing else. And a does. major a major factor of what you're talking about is the responsibility that a man has towards others, and mm-hmm. that is a big difference. A boy is someone's responsibility, but a man should always be responsible for someone else. Even in singleness, I think we come from a culture in past generations where if I became a man, it's not because I got married. It's because I stepped up and took responsibility for my parents Mm -hmm. and maybe my grandparents and maybe my siblings. So there's definitely a responsibility that we're called to, to protect, preside and provide for individuals in our life. Marriage is one of the only institutions that still acknowledges that. And I think Mm -hmm. maybe our culture does a poor job of caring for the elderly, but that's a whole different conversation entirely. That's a really brilliant insight that that a boy care, a boy should be cared for, but a man should be caring for somebody, because yeah. that's a way that a that a single man of any age can take another man under his wing, or should be a manager at a job or something like that, right? Like I've had guys picking on me for not being a father, and I talk about fatherhood, but I happened to mention that to someone I knew, and she sent me the most wonderful message. She said, "I've been taught so much about you know manhood and fatherhood as a as a girl who grew up without a father." She's like. She said to me, "Is so meaningful." She said, "This guy who is picking on you for not being a father doesn't really have a good idea of what a father is." 
Mm. Like you can show fathering energy by taking responsibility for others in so many other ways that don't necessarily have to be procreation. So thank you for saying that. That's, that's going to sit with me for a long time. Thank you for that, Michael. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. I want to jump to the chat really quick before we move on to our next story. Cause I know John's really itching to get to this next story. So, uh, Michaela said, uh, actually once upon a reset said we cannot defeat an enemy that we have failed to define. Interesting. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Art of war. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's right. Then Michaela said to clarify society pulls mamas out of the home and leaves the children vulnerable. And then men often desire to fight good battles, but the women are in the way. Wow. Thank Dang. you, Michaela. I find so few women that are willing to say that. That's awesome. She said, even if it is a good battle, it gets confusing when it is against a woman. Do you, do you now fight a good fight against a woman or do you never fight a woman and lose the good battle? This is the problem. Michaela, you're awesome. On it. Please follow me. YouTube.com slash at red of men. Leave awesome comments because this is like, honestly, this is the stuff that I talk about all day with people. I find so few women that are aware of this and see this and are willing to be honest about it. Fantastic. Absolutely. Well, speaking of uh, women, (laughs) I guess Uh that'll be our transition to go into this this Uh next story from foxnews.com. Scantily clad witches caught munching on deer carcass in bizarre security cam footage. A nurse and nature lover in Canada reportedly captured footage of what she said appeared to be two witches holding a carcass eating a holding a carcass eating ritual with a camera she set up near her home. I don't know what the heck was going what was up with that. Karenian Stanhope, 36, of Powell River, British Columbia, told Kennedy News. It really freaked us out. It's not something you see every day. After coming across a deer carcass in a garden on her property, Stanhope said she she set up the camera to surveil any animals that might take interest in the dead deer. Me and my grandpa put a camera on the trail cam, a trail camera to see if we could see animals. And we got a bobcat on camera, which was pretty cool. She said, adding that her 76 year old grandfather, Bob was horrified when he checked the footage and saw what appeared to be scantily clad women chomping down on the carcass at night there's a photo of the women i won't dwell on that too long for our viewers sake i came the next day and grandpa said he got naked people on the camera and i said no you didn't bullish so he showed me she said stanhope noted that the outlet to the outlet that the apparent carcass eaters emerged about 10 minutes after sunset looking disheveled and like they were wearing wigs You can't really tell from the photos, but the hoof was brought right up to her mouth, she said. I don't know if she was kissing it, smelling it, or eating it, but to touch a decaying carcass like that makes me feel sick. The amount of bacteria that must have been on there. Well, obviously, this is a wacky story, and the main reason why I even brought it up at all is we've already talked a lot about societal norms today, and we talked a lot about, (laughs) about just intention behind actions and at some point i think we have to just acknowledge that there is a dark spiritual force that is at work in this world and this story to me is the perfect example of uh, these two women were by themselves it's just two women just two women by themselves it's not like they were doing this for clout they didn't know that they were being on camera so that to me thinks that this was not a stunt and yet here they are scantily clad coming 10 minutes after after sunset 
or sunrise. I can't remember what it said there and uh, eating this deer carcass. So one of the things that uh, a friend of the show, Jeff Wright has talked about uh, this in his podcast that uh, um, as, as Christ has been pulled away from our culture, other gods are starting to take its place. And of course, by other gods, we would probably be talking more like demonic forces. And what's interesting is witchcraft it tends to be on the rise. Maybe it's just me. I'm just now noticing it, but that's just something that I keep seeing in so many of these stories. Um, I've got some friends from Massachusetts and they said that the culture there in Massachusetts absolutely will blow your mind with how much uh, witchcraft and sorcery they have going on there. So I thought this would be a great, uh, a great one to open up some discussion here. So John, we'll go to you first with your initial reaction to the story. Pagan's going to peg. They just are. Um, so I, I believe, um, I could, I could be wrong on this, but I leave, I believe that Wiccan has just been, uh, recognized as an official religion in, um, in America. Right. So it's definitely on the rise. There's a lot of, there's even, uh, on TikTok, it's called witch talk on Twitch. You have like, uh, twitch witches like a, a twitch witch uh you also have um christian witches right oxymoron but um the it's it's becoming very popularized i don't know maybe it's like harry potter culture or something like that but it's very real stuff you know that's we can joke a, about it and and be like look at these crazy chicks in the in the woods naked sniffing deer hooves you know um we can make fun of it but it's it's a real thing that that people are are being lost to right and uh the reason that they're naked is is for a, a few reasons one is to remove uh it's like symbolizing re the rejection of societal norms right and i think that's that's what draws a lot of these people into witchcraft and and being uh wiccan is to completely do the opposite of what um, Christianity is. Christianity is the big bad wolf uh, when it comes to religion and rebellion, right? Nobody cares if, uh, you know, nobody's rebelling against Islam. Nobody's rebelling against Judaism. Uh, nobody's rebelling against uh, Hinduism or Buddhism. They're rebelling against uh, Christianity. They're re rebelling against Christ. And I think that it's just... It's just another way that that people are seeking out a spiritual connection without having to necessarily have moral boundaries placed. And then there's just people who love the dark. You know, they just they love it and they're they're seeking that dark demonic power. And it, it's it's enticing to many. So there you have it. That's that's my opinion on it. And it's just weird, very weird. And people have been intrigued by the dark since the beginning certainly uh, throughout our lifetimes you mentioned harry potter there's you know think of all types of thrillers horror films uh halloween practices that's a whole nother conversation we've had good conversation of that in the past but we love to idealize evil and darkness and and entertain the intrigue of it and now people are acting upon that as further than just, you know, it used to be Ouija boards were the all the craze. And now we've got naked women sniffing or licking, kissing deers. It's a, it's 
a gross world we live in, but darkness is evil, and evil comes to kill, kill, still and destroy. It's not just steal, kill, and destroy. Mm-hmm. It's not just a fad. It's a, it's a damnation, and we need to be wary of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Will, what was your thought? I was noticing that on the if if you pull it up again. If you want on the page, it was there was a little sub link that during the during the text that said, "Notice that." Uh, scroll back up, yeah. Scroll back up, and you'll see it. Um, here you go. But witchcraft expert publishes WAPO piece claiming dangerous Christians are harassing Wiccan festivals. Mm, <laughs> so there it is. Christians. Yeah, there it is. There it is. Right, like Christianity is God the Father, witches worship God the Mother or Gaia. And so this is a spiritual battle between are you going to worship God as a man or are you going to worship God as a woman? And you have the entire spirit of worshiping God as a woman is taken over. This is, the, this is we have the minds and hearts of women. This is the same thing. And so what Even these the, girls are doing is, that, go ahead. I was going to say in the video that's attached to that article, one of the Wiccan women who's describing the innocence of what they're doing, she literally says that we worship creation or not creation we worship nature is the way she puts it but mm-hmm. i hear that and immediately translate oh you create worshiping the creative thing instead of the creator which goes right back to uh, like john yeah. mentioned earlier romans 1 verses 20 yes. and on uh, they gave themselves over to deprived minds and so i was watching a video must have been last week someone pointed out very rightly that to worship nature is to worship death because that's what nature is. Nature yeah. is death, cycles of death and rebirth. And so the, all those, all those who hate me love death. And so we hear that and we think like, you know, spooky guy with a sickle or whatever we think. Right. But we don't actually think about it in terms of like nature, death in that sense. Right. Versus loving versus loving life. And so um, my, um, my theory is that I think we will within the Christian church, we will conquer effeminacy within the church and then the real battle begins and the real battle will be against this. I can see that coming a couple, three years down the line. I mean, you know, it'll take a while for the, the American Christian church to reconstitute itself in a masculine way. Once it finally does, then, then the big boss of, of its feminism is, is the political expression of it. Wiccan witchcraft will be this new age is a spiritual expression of it. And I can probably, um, probably come up with you know our, our the the weaponized empathy is the emotional expression it's all the same it's all the same thing the Do rise of the them? rise of the divine feminine you know Correct. it's it's uh and and that's what they're expecting right like they're expecting yeah. they 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 say that we're having a shift from the masculine to the feminine and that this the feminine energy and uh, is of more compassion. So we're moving towards world peace and we're moving towards a, a higher level of consciousness and, and a higher vibration. The, the divine feminine is a, is a higher vibration of love and peace. And it's, it's literally what you're, what you're talking about, Will, of, uh, you know, we have the mind of women. So essentially they are not wrong in describing what's happening as a, as a society. It's just, placing your faith in that is is ridiculously dangerous oh yeah send you straight to hell yeah right that's the jezebel spirit it's really just satan wearing a mask right women like oh right that's all it is the mask is thinly veiled 
at this point. <laughs> well, uh, you, if you want to see something else weird, pull up, uh, go to Google and type, um, and go to Google image search and type woman wearing ram's horns. On it. <laughs> and you know, I want to show this to you. I, so, so regarding this rise of the divine feminine, I did a two and a half hour presentation about it back in February because I spent, you know, uh, on a third, I was on a 30 year spiritual journey that ended in Christ. But during that time, I went all through the new age and explored all the different practices and all the different religions. And I came out of it into Christianity. Okay, look, so you can scroll down and just like, like see all the different women with these ram's horns. Isn't this wild? Wow. You can just click on one of the women above and then, or yeah, that one, the per, yeah, click on that one, that one I've seen before. So just like, there should be extra ones. But anyway, so the thing is, what's going on here, this is a, this is a legit thing. Those horns, and maybe if you, maybe if you click more or something like that, I found, I found this out as well. And I have a video coming up on YouTube about this. What's happening here is um, from, from an astrological spiritual perspective, that kind of spirituality, the ram's horns are in the shape of women's uterus right? They're, they're fallopian tubes in the uterus. So it's a symbol for Aries. So what they're actually doing is they're adorning themselves with the image of the female reproductive system as an act of, as an act of uh, divine feminine goddess worship. That's what this trend is. If you ever see this, I thought it was a reference to like the sheep and the goats, right? A left-hand path kind of thing, but that's actually ram's horns. It's not sheep or goats. So, um, so that's, that's what that is. I found that out for a presentation that I gave. So when you see that, that's what you're looking at is more divine feminine goddess worship. Hmm. Super wild. Yeah. I think, I think wild. new age spirituality is, uh, is it's on the rise. This, it's why I wrote the book that I wrote, uh, about the law of attraction, because I, that's a, it's a gateway drug, I believe to new age spirituality at least that's how i was introduced to it was through the law of attraction and and then i was practicing new age practices without even thinking i was practicing them because i thought it was science you know so it's it's just so prevalent and the the reason why i think that that's going to be the uh like the number one contender uh, you know nothing can contend against christ but just from a, a cultural standpoint i'm speaking uh it's because it's so it encompasses everything minus the actual biblical christ it'll even encompass jesus just not the jesus of the bible so it's so accepting it's so tolerant it's 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 everything that society is right now right and if you look at just statistically speaking there's so many people like fighting against atheism right in the christian space so many apologists that are against atheism and that's good we 100% need that right but most people are not atheists they're that spiritual yeah. yeah they're they're spiritual they they believe in a higher power and they they're more drawn to to this like spiritism and and uh, you know theos theosophy type theosophy. thinking you know yeah. and um i think that that is going to be the the cultural religion uh in the in the future you know obviously until until the real winner wins but um that that's something that i think that a lot of people need to get better at discussing is is debunking and discussing the the fallacies that you find within that worldview mm -hmm. 
I just yeah. added your your book to my Amazon cart. I look forward to checking that out. Oh, nice. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Bill's You're definitely welcome. had a brush in with the, the spirit of the age. That's for oh, sure. Yeah. You've got oh, a yeah. wonderful testimony that uh, recommend anyone anyone watch. Uh, you did a really good one with uh, Coltish. That's probably probably the was, best place to find your full story, probably. I was just going to say, as, so. as as like you were talking and stuff, I'm, I'm thinking uh, – Jeremiah, I think, was telling me about you when I was out there. Um, oh, okay. On the on the podcast, he was telling me about a friend who, you know, did ayahuasca and had like all these different spiritual experiences, and then came to Christ. And I'm like, oh, I want to, I want to talk to that guy. So now I'm actually talking to you. So that's pretty good. Yeah, you were in Jeremiah's head. I've got one of those in my closet. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Excellent. Super cool. Yeah, we should we should talk more. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I'd watch it. Cool. Well, I did want to, I did want to, I, I wanted to ask you, Will, um, mm -hmm. because you have talked a lot about the, um, the wickedness of um, different traps that women often fall into, I should say. Um, and I think some women would watch this episode and think that you are totally blasting women in general here. So could you speak more to, um, and of course, both of you are welcome to chime in on this as well, John and, and Michael, but could you speak more towards um, the the proper role as you see it in terms of um, uh, biblical femininity as well as um, maybe just give the assurance to the person that thinks that you're blasting women um, what, you, what you actually believe, I should say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so men and women are equal in value, different in nature, and hierarchical in roles. So we have equal value before God, right? Made in the image of God, both men and women. We are different fundamentally in our natures, and those differing natures reflect and flow outward into the different roles that we play, right? So that's 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 what I actually believe. Now, um, hierarchy does not imply superiority or inferiority of worth, right? And it implies authority, Right? It implies an authority structure, and our whole world is built on top of authority. The liberal project is to level all hierarchy to flatness, and we, don't, we can't actually focus. We can't actually function that way. Our whole world is based on hierarchy, and the spiritual world is based on hierarchy. You know, where Christ is, like the incarnate Christ is submitted to God, man submits to Christ, woman submits to man, children submits to woman. And through the children, right, that completes the loop, through the children, the woman gets to see God in a way that men don't, right? Through the process of creating life. That is the chain, right? And so this whole chain, this whole notion that submission, authority implies humiliation or lesser than or anything like that is, is incorrect, is incorrect. I believe both men and women have sin natures that interact. Like I get, I get in trouble for saying this on Twitter from, I don't know, I said a tweet today that said the feminists and the masculine, the masculinity Pharisees. I said, I'm, I say, women are sinners in need of a savior and the feminists and the masculinity Pharisees say, yeah, but it was probably the man's fault. They both <laughs> say that it's very, it's very strange. So I look back at the garden and I see Eve was tempted. Adam abdicated Eve. And these are two separate things. Eve was not tempted because Adam abdicated. That was woman's sin nature is to, she was tempted by what you shall be like God. She was tempted by that. And Adam abdicated. Those are two separate things, the ways that our sin natures intertwine with each other. And both of them, to deny women that is to deny them the salvation of their Savior and to call, to call them less than human. So I say that women have a sin nature, and I'm honest about it with them. 
and I tell them what their sin nature is so that they can be redeemed and be the heirs of the promise that Jesus gave to them. I was reading today. There were, um, what was that? It, it was, uh, it's in Luke, I think, for this woman who was a sinner. That's all it says. She came to Jesus and, and, and asked for his forgiveness. It just says that she's a sinner. It doesn't say anything about what her sin was or that there was any man involved. She's just a sinner. She comes to Jesus and is forgiven. Right. So women have a sin nature as well. And I don't think it's any it's any hatred of women. In fact, it's a deep love for them that tells them what their sin nature is, while also acknowledging very clearly what men's sin nature is. But I don't think there's any shortage of men or women calling out men's sin nature. Mm. Right. I think call out women's sin nature is necessary and it's treating them like adults. And if you can set aside the emotional response to being called out for the first time in your life, probably, if you can set that aside, you can step into full adulthood that I regard you as capable of having. Now that's going to hurt. And I don't care. <laughs> I love you enough to not care. Okay. You're right. It's hurting your feelings. No, no, no. You have to be called into adulthood because that's where real freedom is. I'm the way, the truth and life. And so do I hate women? No, I love them enough to be honest with them in a way that no one else will. I try to do it lovingly, but I can also be glib. And I think sometimes that undercuts my message. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know if Michael, you had anything to add to that. You looked like you were chomping at the bit. There's, there's a long conversation to be had. So we'll have to have Will on again and, and spend a full time discussing this. Okay. Awesome. I don't cool. disagree. Excellent. Well, I, I can recommend, uh, I can recommend a book. I can recommend a couple books that I'm reading right now. This is masculine Christianity by Zach Garris. This is excellent. If you guys have seen this, I did not expect this book to be what it is. It's a, it's a very scholarly theological book. It's not like how to be a masculine Christian man. It's a scholarly book. This is really good. If you want another, sorry, if you want another book that shows just how messed up feminism is, this is the scum manifesto by Valerie Solanus. Um, this is a lesser known, very influential feminist tract where it's just like insane rambling, rambling about men. It's like, she's crazy. But a lot of women, took, this is radical feminism from the 60s. And then there's another one that I'm reading right now called The Revolt of the Primitive, which might be the most important book that I've ever read for helping me understand that what we're going on. So I read about this stuff all the time, which is why I like talking about it. So Awesome. Well, noted. We'll have Will back on soon. Um, I did want to go. Um, we had a couple of chats that I wanted to cover. First of all, we had uh, Augustus on Rumble said they may be granddaughters of the witches, but I'm the descendant of Solomon Cain. Interesting. Very interesting. And then speak to, D, speak to the said, could you talk about how a man leads, protects and loves his family when his wife has no interest in him doing those things who in fact pushes against the very idea of a man living this out? Yeah. I I'm going to first say that um, I think I'm the only father here, but um in general, I think um, as a husband, it's really important to start leading um, without being asked. And I, I don't mean in a rude way. I mean, just make sure that you have your life in order. Um, I'm going to sound like Jordan Peterson here, but <laughs> my point is clean your room, um, bucko. Clean your, clean, clean your room there, bucko. Anyways, um, not bad. That was Thank really you. good. Thank you. Thank that you. was good. But uh, <laughs> once once you get your confidence um, from just making sure that you honestly have um, discipline in your own life, uh, 
your wife is naturally going to see that confidence and she's going to want to give you more responsibility. Um, and it, and it's not in a, in a conniving sort of way. It's just, um, become capable and someone's going to trust you with responsibility that this is just general life advice outside of the home, you know, in the workplace, when you become capable, your boss wants to give you responsibility. It's the same with, uh, with your spouse. Um, and, and this can be, these roles can be reversed even to a point. Um, but start making sure that you have your ducks in a row. And I think that she's going to yield some of the responsibility to you. And as you continue to level up, um, we'll talk about the different stages of initiation. Uh, once I became a dad, who boy, did I, did I level up? I think, um, you know, I was pushed to level up. I think my wife would say the same thing and I saw her level up and, uh, naturally in a way you have to embrace discomfort so that you can actually grow and, uh, ultimately find yourself more capable. And, uh, I think that's going to naturally cause responsibility to fall on you. So uh, feel free to add anything if you want, gentlemen. This is another question no, where we could go on for a very long time, and there are undoubtedly books written to this effect. But, yeah, Connor, what you're saying, I would agree with. Uh, there's a certain responsibility of a man, and the the term that resonates in my heart and has for many years now is reject complacency. We as men are continuously tempted into complacency and we'll even discuss this earlier, but we must reject complacency in our relationships, in our homes, in our jobs, in our personal disciplines. And like you're saying, Connor, I don't think it's like, I don't think you just start leading because your wife asks you to, if your wife has to ask you to, you think you're kind of behind the game on that. But leadership is built upon disciplines. Disciplines should be personal practices that exist separate of your relationships. And the disciplines that we have in our life to faithfulness, to physical well-being, to knowledge, to wisdom, to loving one another, these disciplines feed into the relationships that we have as well. And if we are disciplined in those areas, then we can prove ourselves to be trustworthy to lead when we begin leading. Um, if I could just jump in, I would say you have to be leading towards a direction, right? Uh, it, it, everybody says that, you know, I want to be a leader. Where are you going that somebody is going to follow, right? And it's your job as a husband to first lead your wife to Christ. So if you are not leading spiritually, you don't expect to lead in any other area, right? So uh, are, are you, is your wife walking in the room seeing you read the Bible? Is, are, do you have a good prayer life? Are, do you know where your wife's relationship with Christ is? You know, is she in her word? Is she praying? Right. The my first duty to my wife is to lead her to Christ. That that is it. Right. I need to be grabbing her hand, grabbing Christ's hand and like pulling them together. Right. Because if if I'm not moving towards Christ. Right. I can't expect her to move towards Christ. And if we're both not moving towards Christ, our relationship is going to be messed up. Right. So at all times. I know where my wife is in her walk with Christ, and I know where my 
walk is with Christ. Before I, before I know if me and my wife are good, that's, I got to make sure that that is good, right? Because everything else falls uh, a far second when it comes to leadership. So I would say whoever uh, asked that question, just if you're looking for a place to start, that's it. Lead your wife towards Christ and then it'll just naturally follow that you that you'll be leading in other areas if i can substantiate that claim with scripture ephesians 5 25 and following says husbands love your wives as christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish Amen. Amen. Share Joel in the chat said parenting is a big level upper. Absolutely. And uh, once upon a reset said, how much do I need to be able to squat to be a masculine Christian? Five. Exactly five. Five. We will not specify five of what? Five. Just five. Not important. Just five. Not important. It is important, though. I think... uh, Responding to that comment, I think physical fitness is a discipline that is necessary in yep. an act of righteousness. Absolutely. It doesn't mean that there are benchmarks that are more righteous or less righteous, but if you're complacent in your physicality, then you are not rising to who Christ has made you to be. So physical fitness is, of course, subjective, but I think it's a mental attitude towards physical fitness rather than the actual benchmark of like i can bench press 225 look at me i'm so cool and i fit in with the fitness influencers no i don't really care about that but you should show your family and yourself and everyone else in your life that you care enough to put effort into your wellness and we can talk about that another time as well yeah and we will we have matt from uh, barbell logic coming on soon i know you've had him on your podcast before will so that's uh yeah. That's going to be a great conversation to have. Um, I know we're going a little late. I did want to address this one uh, one more time because it was a follow-up chat. Speak to thee, speak to thee is uh, in the chat. that said, Connor, what if she is repulsed by the very idea of the male role of leadership? No matter the leveling up you've done, prayer, scripture reading, work, listening, etc. I'm going to give a short answer <laughs> and turn it to Will because I know he's itching for this. My short answer would be make sure they're in their word, um, kind of to John's point as well. Um, because I do think that scripture does show a, a male headship. Um, now we probably have varying degrees of what that looks like in this panel, but either way, I do think that, uh, uh, scripture does at least encourage men to lead in some capacity. We can argue about exactly how much that is. Um, but, uh, I would say that scripture is going to naturally cause you to level up again. We but have to be careful with how we say, like, make sure she's doing this, because it seems like the power dynamic at play does not allow for any sort of, hey, do this because I said so. And, yeah, good point. But exemplifying that in your walk and encourage encouraging those conversations. Yeah, but go ahead, yeah, Will. Yeah. I know you got more to say. Yeah, I mean, this is it's a it's a complicated multi-part problem that lots of men are dealing with. Um, even men in Christian marriages. In fact, I know of two men, yeah, two men in Christian marriages, both multi-decades long, 
where it appears that very suddenly both of their wives became apostate and are now completely, the relationship dynamic is totally inverted. One man actually, um, who she brought him to Christ. And then a couple decades on, she rejects it totally. And it's like, what's going on there? This is a common phenomenon that, um, yeah, this is a common phenomenon that um, I think is related to this notion of divine feminine rising with women who uh, are not or were not regenerate from the get-go, probably. You know, I, there's a longer theological discussion to have there, but seems pretty certain. And so what you're wondering is, uh, what you're wondering is, you have a woman now who is showing, or the rebellion has been within her this whole time and it hasn't been checked and so now it's finally metastasized and has taken over as you're attempting to assert leadership. So this is a documented phenomenon. You can read about it in this book, The Abusive Wife by Dr. David Edgington. Um, this is an excellent book, deeply scriptural, very faithful. And he was the guest on my podcast this week. So you can hear my interview with him by going to uh, youtube.com slash at rent of men. You can watch and listen to that. You can also he also he gives his phone number in that interview. And he invites anyone, any man to reach out and call him anytime. You can find him at CompassionateCounselors.com. He's located here in Phoenix. And he provides a lot of guidance for what men can do who are in the situation. Because if she's not, if she's not being obedient, chances are it's not just a matter of her not being obedient. It's her probably being actively disrespectful. It's probably actively challenging your authority, probably actively hating men, masculinity, and really God. Uh, as a result of whatever happened or childhood or whatever is going on, it doesn't legitimize any of it, but that's, a, that's all of it. And so what you're doing is you're existing in an upside down relationship. You're trying to write the power dynamics of the relationship for where they should be. She's fighting you at every turn because she has a rebellious spirit within her. And so, uh, there's a couple different questions. How can I survive in this environment with a woman who's in rebellion? And how can I bring her heart around to Christ? Those are two separate processes because men and women have sin, independent sin natures. You can overcome. No one controls your ability to overcome your passivity. When you overcome your passivity, she must then follow. And she either, unfortunately, her choice will be either in to nail her own sin nature to the cross, which is why you disciple her in the word, or she decides to rebel and she exits. And there are a lot of men that are gonna be in the situation very soon. You cannot compel her behavior, but what you can do is you can grow in your activity, your active nature instead of passivity. You can do that without anyone's permission if you have the discipline to get physically fit, financially competent, you know, and faithful. You can do those things yourself and you don't need anyone's permission. That's your own discipline. And as you naturally assume that role, you give her the opportunity if she begins undercutting you, then you begin your own sanctification process with that, which he talks about here in the book. Highly recommend this book and, and my podcast with him. So you're in a very complicated situation, but no, you're not alone. Speak, speak to the, I think is your name. Yeah. yeah. How do you lead when your wife isn't, you lead yourself, you lead, you lead yourself and um, you give her the opportunity to follow you or not, but you have which to lead yourself first. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, and then she makes a choice with what she wants to do with her eternal, eternal destiny. But you have your own choice to make first, which is to obey God, and keep his commandments. Amen. Awesome. Well, gentlemen, I know we went a little late, but thank you all so much what? for staying with us. Uh, John, where can people go to find you and keep up with everything that you're doing? 
Um, you could come find me in Puerto Rico uh, or just online. You could just look up John Clash on YouTube. No H, J-O-N, Clash. Everyone puts an H in it, and then Clash of Clans comes up. So it's John Clash. Awesome. Will, where can people find you? And feel free to tell them just a little bit about your project since it came on late. Oh, yeah. So uh, so I'm the host of the Renaissance of Men podcast, which you can find by going to youtube.com slash at men to see all my episodes on video. Or you can go to renofmen.com slash links and you can find everything that I do. You can listen to the audio version of the podcast. I also have 12-week men's mentorship and I'm building a men's community right now that I'm very excited about. So YouTube, um, I'm everywhere at Twitter and Instagram at renofmen as well. Excellent. Michael, where can people find you? You can find me right here. And otherwise, I'm learning biblical Hebrew. Awesome. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us. We have been Forge and Anvil, and we will see you next time.